Hey church, welcome to Frontline Community Church Podcast. My name is Cody Mahaffey and I'm the connections and group pastor here at Frontline in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So our mission here is simple, to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. So whether you've been following Jesus your whole life or your journey has just begun, we hope that this message will help draw you near to the person of Jesus. Be challenged and encouraged by his word and be moved to action. We hope these next few moments are a blessing to you and equip you to see who God really is and who you really are in him. Good morning, Frontline. It's good to see all of you that are in the room. It's good to have you if you're joining and watching online. Uh, As we think about Christmas coming up in a week, I can't help but think back and remember uh, the Christmas that I actually got coal in my stocking. Anybody else was a coal kid? That you woke up and you were all excited and you know anxious, looking forward to it. Like, what did, what, what did Santa get or what did Santa bring me today? And, and I remember going to my stocking and I pull out this giant black rock and I look at my parents. I'm like, what is this? And my dad's so excited. He goes, that's coal. I went, oh, okay, all right. I'm, I'm a coal kid. I was one of those. You know, it's like, I, I remember looking back going, I, I had a rough year, you know, like January through November was tough, but December came in and I tried working on it. I tried good behavior. I, I cleaned up my room. I unloaded part of the dishwasher. You know, it was like, I, I was pretty good leading up right towards the end. And it's like, you're always wondering like, how good was I? Like, was I good enough to get what I was hoping for or excited about, or was I not quite good? enough. Uh, I found out this year, actually like this last week, that there's a website. This would have been awesome when I was a kid. There's a website. You can type in your name. You can find out. Naughty or nice. You know, you can find out right now. I'm telling you, like watching online, sitting here, you can find out if you're a cold kid, just like I was. So I, I decided to have some fun with this. So I'm like, let's see how legit this actually is. So I Googled it. All of these were in order. Okay. So I Googled it. Naughty or nice list. I typed in my name. It says, ho, ho, ho. Nice try, David Dorner. Thought you could slip one past the big guy. Naughty. Not even, I didn't make this up. This is exactly how it came. So I went, let's see how true this thing actually is. So I did Shannon next. I did my wife. I'm like, let's see, right? So here's what it says. Way to help that old lady, Shannon. Santa will certainly add you to the nice list. I was like, that is so like her. <laughs> Just ticks me off. So I'm like, all right, let's keep going. I got two boys. Let's start with the four-year-old. So Judah, it says this in the words of Larry David, you've been pretty, 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 pretty good this year. So, okay, whatever. One-year-old, my one-year-old, he's starting to get there, right? He, he's starting to be mobile. He's understanding, like, he can make his voice heard and he can make his own decision. So it says this, uh, so far you're on the nice list, but you better watch out because Santa's checking twice. I'm like, that's accurate. <laughs> that is accurate. Like, I'm watching him, but I wasn't totally convinced on the Shannon piece. So I typed in Shannon's name again. I went back to my wife and it says, wow, you're in number 5,258, not too shabbery considering everybody in the world, blah, blah. I'm like, this thing drives me nuts. So I said, one more. I got one more. This is going to be my trump card. So I typed in Brian Bloom's name. I was like, I want to know where Brian's is. Welcome to the naughty list, Brian. It's you and me gearing up for Christmas. Nice. All right. So it was accurate. Isn't it funny? Like stuff like this, you kind of go like, Santa's got all the power, doesn't he? He he gets to decide who's naughty and nice. He gets to decide who's getting presents and who's not. You know, and that word power is actually, it's it's in the verse that LJ just read for us earlier out of Isaiah chapter nine, when it says, and the government will be on his shoulders. When it's talking about Jesus, that word misra actually means power. The word government, it doesn't mean like organizational, policy-driven group of people. The word government means power power like a judge, 
or like a jury. The, the word power is ascribed to Jesus long before Jesus ever made an entrance into this world. And it says the power rests on his shoulders just like Santa, right? The power to determine what is good and what is wrong, what is right, what is evil. That power actually rests on the person of Jesus. So Romans chapter 3, verse 20, this is actually the Bible's own naughty and nice list. Check out what it says. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. So if you've ever wondered before, right, walking in today, or as you think about you and your relationship with God, if you've wondered, where do I stand? Here's where you stand, naughty. Welcome to the club, right? Me and Brian, it's a happy, it's a happy side, Okay. But if you ever wonder, like, what, what do I bring? What do I contribute? Uh, where, what is the actual status of my relationship with God? According to Romans chapter 3 and verses all throughout the Bible, we are on the naughty list. We are on the not good side. There is nothing we could do to get out of it or to get off of it on our own. That's what the Apostle Paul says. Merry Christmas. Nothing you can do, nothing you can change, nothing you can fix, nothing. In fact, I brought this up. This is called the scales of justice. So the scales of justice, the way this works is uh, we, we try to balance and weigh out the bad things you've done with the good things you've done. And we hope that deep down, eventually these are good or the good will outweigh the bad. That's what we hope for, right? Scales of justice is how our court system works. You do something bad, then it must be made up by some sort of penalty or some sort of restitution. Like it, uh, the goal is that it would be equal. The scales of justice result in equality. That's what they're supposed to do. So what Paul says is, okay, in God's economy, there is very much still a scales of justice, but there's, there's the bad things you do and there's the good things that you do. But the problem is the good things you do don't undo the bad things that you've already done. They don't. A lot of us, though, we build our lives, we build our theology, we even relate to God in a certain way that we think, but I, I think God does take that into consideration. I may not be considered perfect or holy or righteous or, or I may not earn it in my relationship with him, but I can help. I can contribute. I can add stuff to the other side so that someday if I stand before God, when I stand before him and I have to give an account for my life and an account for my sin and an account for the things that I have done and not done, I'm gonna hope that the good outweighs the bad so at least I don't roll in as a total lost cause. Can anybody else relate to that? Man, I, I hope I've done enough, right? It's like, Christmas is approaching. I hope I've done enough. I've hoped the good outweighs the bad. I, I just hope, I hope, I hope, I hope. I put my stock in this. I, I really hope. I went on a, a mission trip when I was in college, uh, which is awesome. I went to Panama City Beach. They really called it a mission trip over spring break. I was like, that's sign, yes, sign me up. I will be there. And uh, we went. It, it turned out to be this conference. Uh, it was an evangelism conference. Basically, what, what they wanted to do and teach us, we went with a campus ministry group, uh, was teach you how to share the gospel with normal, average people. And so we went out, we, we hit the beach, and you know, we all got different assigned spots. And, and I, I learned something, too. Like you, you just, it's easy to relate to people, right, who are just there and enjoying vacation and sun and spring break, whatever. Uh, but I found it was easiest to have conversations with people who have put a few away. You know what I'm talking about? It's like 10 o'clock, and there's an empty six-pack. You're like, I smell a conversation. So I, I walked up. I mean, I still remember so many different people that I would talk to. I'd roll up, and, and basically, we'd, we'd ask questions like this. Like, what do you believe happens after after death? What do you believe about God? What do you believe about a, a higher power? 
And so many people say, oh, I believe that there's a God, and I believe, you know, that life after death, there's probably heaven or hell. But, and I said, well, how do you get to one of those? Like, how, do you know? And they say, well, I'm pretty sure you go to heaven if you're good, outweighs your bad, and you go to hell if you're bad, outweighs your good. That was true. That was the answer over and over and over and over again. There's whole world religions built on that premise. As long as the good outweighs the bad, right? As long as in God's perfect scale of justice, as long as your good stuff is, is outweighed by the bad stuff, then, I, then you'll probably be fine. It's, it's that, that probably that I keep stubbing my toe on. According to Romans 3, verse 20, which we already read, therefore, just say these two words with me. No one. So here's, here's what I'm telling you. There's not been one person in this world, in the history of this world, whatever, that has stood before God on their own merit and they were considered righteous. Not even one. So that, that theology doesn't work. So what, what do we bring or what do we do with that? What, how do we wrestle through? God demands perfection, but we still feel like we, we can help. God demands not just good outweighs the bad, God demands no bad, like zero, which means as soon as you sin or as soon as you lie, as soon as you steal, as soon as you covet, as soon as you, whatever, whatever it is, as soon as you do this, you're, you're on trial for that thing. And then it just compounds and compounds and compounds and compounds. You know, you know what it feels like when we actually sit with that reality? We start feeling stuck. If, you, if you're new, if you're joining for the first time, you're probably like, it's Christmas. Why do they have a jail cell? Which is a very fair question. So we're in this series. It's called the Captive Liberator because it's all about Jesus being a captive, but also a liberator of captives. So here, here's what every one of us knows. If we're in this room or if we're looking at this jail cell, every one of us knows what it feels like to be inside of a cell that you can't get out of. That could be a, a perfectionistic tendency that you desire. That, that could be some sort of sin that you've done or committed that you've carried with you. That, that could be like a smudge on your record. That could be a, a former life or a past life. It could be a former marriage or a, a former relationship, a former whatever it is that you've done. You know, right? I don't have to convince you. You know what it's like to live your life inside of a jail cell in which there is no escape. You know. Your mind might even be going to something right now. You're like, oh man, I'm thinking, yeah, it's, it's that one thing. It's the thing that's a secret. It's the thing that's buried. It's the thing that's just attached to this deep level of shame and guilt, sadness, hopelessness. It's this thing that like, if you, if you really sit with it, you go, maybe I've never sat inside an actual jail cell before, but I know 100% what it feels like to be imprisoned. And what we do, this is so funny. This, if you build your theology on, well, I can earn something from God. I, I can try to earn a level of favor from him. Or maybe, maybe my bad stuff isn't just going to be held against me. Maybe he takes into consideration some of the good. That's like living inside of our cell and then cleaning it. It's like you grab your Swiffer wet jet or your broom or your vacuum and you straighten it up, you dust it, you put everything in order, you check all the boxes, you go to church, you're in a smogger, you, you do all the right things, you go, surely this is gonna contribute to God showing me favor. But in reality, the door's still closed, the cell still exists, and you're still stuck. 
Romans 3, verse 20, it says the same thing. Therefore, no one will be considered righteous because of the works of the law. Our decisions, our actions, what we were born into got us here and we can't get out. We're stuck. So what do you do with that? I I remember uh, when I was in college, I had a lot of college stories. Uh, I got pulled over once and... uh, this was really funny. I mean, it was a funny, it's funny now. It wasn't funny at the time. Uh, I was pulling out of uh, a store that I was at. It was kind of later at night. And there was a, one of those signs that says no left turn. You've probably seen these before. I thought it was a, su- a suggestion. It was like, we prefer that you don't turn left. And then I just turned, you know, right and then mostly left. And I, I pulled up to the intersection and all of a sudden I see a squad car come out of the shadows I'm like, what the heck? Like, is this guy just sitting there waiting for people to turn left? And sure enough, he lights up the lights and I pull over and he walks up and he removes all doubt. He goes, I'm sitting there to catch people that turn left. I went, <laughs> shoot. So, so what, what do I start going into? I mean, the mode, if you've ever been pulled over, you probably go into this too. How do I get out of this? What name can I say or what can I do to prove? You know, it's like, my dad's the governor. You know, really? Mm. Not quite. You know. So I, I start thinking, I, I pull out my registration, and after I go through like four of them that are all expired and out of date, I'm like, Haha. okay, registration, it's paid, it's current, it's valid. How about this proof of insurance? That's paid, it's current, it's valid. My seatbelt was on. Man, I had 10 and 2. I was driving well. You know, my room's clean. It's like there's nothing I can say to this police officer to let me off. There's nothing. He, he's literally sitting there to catch me doing what I did. And sure enough, he, he walked back and he goes, here's your ticket. I took that ticket. No good thing that I did got taken into consideration. The only thing that was on trial, the only thing that he cared about was the thing that I broke. The law that I broke, the sin I had committed, whatever, it, that was what was on trial. You know what? It was the exact same thing when I went to the court because I fought it, right? Normal college kid. I'm like, I'll just beg for mercy. I showed up there, and I'll never forget the feeling. I sat on the left. The police officer sat on the right. The judge walked in. They shook hands. I went, this isn't good for me. (laughs) And the judge goes, okay, you know, police officer, go ahead and and tell me what happened. And so he walks through the story, and then he looks at me, and he goes, David, do you have anything to say for yourself? I'll, I'll never forget that helpless feeling of I'm busted. I'm stuck. I'm caught. The, the only thing that was on trial, you know what I didn't say? Uh, I'd like to, I brought a list here of everything that I've done right over the last year. How do you think that's going to go? I didn't, I just owned it. That's all I did. I owned it. I stood before the judge and I said, everything you just accused me of, I, you know, I did. The one thing you said I didn't see it, I actually did see it. I just made a willful decision to disobey the law and I'm here to ask for a lighter penalty. That's what I said to the judge. We're going to live that someday. We're going to stand in a courtroom where there's going to be an accuser, and the accuser is going to say, here is all the things that they have done. Here's all the laws that they've broken, and not not just the laws that we abide by. No, no, the, the laws that God created. Right, like the Ten Commandments and everything that follows from those. It's a, we're going to be held accountable. We're going to be sitting in a courtroom, and we are the ones that are going to be on trial. And God's going to look at us and, and say, do you have anything you'd like to say for yourself? 
That is not the time to go, I always paid my taxes, and I love people really well. I was in church every Sunday, and it doesn't matter. That's not what you're on trial for. What you're on trial for is the things that you have done wrong. Isaiah 53, verse 8, it says this, By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Now it's talking about Jesus. Yet who of his generation protested, for he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people, he was punished. This verse, right, we've been tracking through Isaiah 53. It's saying Jesus was the one that, that stepped in and that intervened. Jesus was the one that was carted off, not because of anything he had done wrong, but because of all of the stuff that we were sitting there on trial for. That's why Jesus was taken away. And it wasn't just the people that were around him. It was us. It was stuff that we did. It was stuff that you did last night or last week or last year, or last decade, or last season. It's all of the stuff. The accumulation of all of it was attached to him. And that's why Isaiah says he was taken away. So in this courtroom, you know, if the judge looks at you and he says, what, what do you have to say for yourself? You got nothing. You've got absolutely nothing. Why? Because you can't behave your way out of grace, or into grace, I should say. You can't behave your way into it. You can't go, here's all the stuff I've done right. Here's my merit. Here's my pedigree. Here's everything that I've done. Now can I get grace? It doesn't work that way. You can't behave your way into grace at all. So why, why do we have this resistance then? I would say it that way. Why do we have a resistance to grace? The longer I sat with this sermon, the more I was like, I just feel like all of us have that. We, we may love to claim grace, but I, I think it's super hard for most of us to actually accept grace because of what we have to accept right before it. You know what we have to accept right before grace? Hopelessness. Judgment. Brokenness. Beyond our repair. I think so many of us are opposed to receiving even the grace that Jesus wants to offer because right before, we have to admit that we need it. That is super hard. I, I don't want to stand on this stage and pretend to you like that's not hard for me. It's extraordinarily hard. Man, I, I've got whole seasons marked by me resisting the thing that I just needed to own so that I could actually accept grace. Ephesians 2, verse 8, it says this, for it is by, say this word with me, grace. It is by grace you have been saved. That saved word, again, implies you couldn't do it yourself. So you needed somebody. You ever been saved? Somebody that swooped in and rescued you. They did for you what you couldn't do for yourself. For it was by grace that we were saved. And then Paul continues, through faith, and it's not from yourselves. You didn't contribute. You didn't help. You didn't balance the scale or you didn't bring in some good things. Nope. It was through faith and this not from yourself. It is the gift of God. Merry Christmas for real. It's the gift that God gave you. You didn't earn that gift. You didn't pay for that gift. You didn't contribute. God gave it out of his heart like we give gifts to each other from our heart. 
so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. When grace enters the scene, it changes everything. It changes everything. Before grace, we're just condemned. Before grace, we'll stand in judgment. Before grace, hopelessness is a right feeling. Because there is no hope. You can't earn it. You can't fix it. You can't unlock your own cell. You can't do anything to get out of it. But grace, when grace enters the scene, it changes the entire tune. It changes the story. It rewrites possibilities. It actually allows for something to be healed or fixed or transformed or something that's dead to be able to be brought back to life. Like grace is the comma where judgment is the period. When we say we're, we're just done, there's nothing else I can do. There's nothing else I can add. There's nothing else. I, I can't undo what I've already done. Grace says I'm turning that period into a comma because there's a new story that's about to be written. Grace changes everything. That's why it talks about like, for, for you are God's handiwork. Another version says you're his workmanship. God is at work. He's an artist. He is at work crafting and creating and writing and rewriting a story to end, not in death, not in destruction, not in judgment, but with life, with new hope, with new dreams. Like God, God's rewriting your story if you will allow grace to come in and actually change things inside of you. That's what he's doing. That's what he's, he's inviting us today in 2022, in December. He's inviting us to actually step into grace, to receive it, not by works, not, not by something we did, not by how we contribute, just to receive a gift like a good father gives to his children. You know how what we act like when we don't receive grace? When we feel like we can earn it? When we feel like we can contribute? Catch this. We eventually resent God, the local church, family members, spouses, friends, neighbors, etc., because we're never good enough. We never get it right. We never fix what was broken. We never undo the wrong. We can never bring wholeness and healing to the areas that we've contributed, that we broke, and it turns into resentment and frustration and anger and division, and it plays itself over and over and over, and it gets deeper and deeper and deeper because we're trying to contribute to it because we're trying to fix it. And the invitation that Jesus has for all of us today, tomorrow, is this. You can't fix it, but I can. I have this thing called grace. Do you want it? Will you take it? Will you receive it? You know, make, make no mistake, in God's economy or in God's judicial system, in God's courtroom, there is a scale. There absolutely is. Because the wrong must be righted. The sin must be undone or paid for. So in God's courtroom, right, in, in his judgment, as he's, as he's there, and as you're there, and as you're standing on trial here, you can stand on your own merit. You can he gives you the option. He doesn't force you. You can say, I, I want to go in and I have a good list, Lord. I'm ready for it. You ready? Okay, so here, here's all the years I was in church. Here's all the things that I gave away. Here's all the people that I helped. Here's all the things. You can come in with your list, but that's not what you're on trial for. What you will be on trial for is all the things that you've done wrong that have created division and brokenness and sin. 
that's created enmity, brokenness between you and God. That's what you're on trial for. So if you show up on your own merit, it's going to go like this and you'll be judged. And it's like the, the, the bailiff comes in and they grab you and they cart you off. But there's another option. There's this thing called grace. And here's how it works in God's courtroom. He removes the scales. This is what grace actually looks like. You don't have to stand on your own merit. You don't. You just admit, I, I bring nothing to this equation. I, I bring nothing. There's, nothing. there's nothing good that I can bring that can undo any of this. But, but the merit that I do want to stand on is the merit of Jesus, the one who did live a perfect life, who did live a sinless life, who, who didn't sin, who didn't create separation between God and him, who, who lived the absolute perfect life. I want to stand on his merit because Jesus offered us this gift and it's called grace and it's through faith in him that we can actually receive it so that someday when we stand before God, we're going to stand right there and God's going to say, do you have anything to say for yourself? And you're going to say, yep, Jesus. He took it. He paid it. I needed it. I brought nothing to the equation. I didn't contribute at all. In fact, I dug my own hole and all I did my entire life was dig deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, but it's by grace that I'm saved. It's through faith in him, through Jesus, the son of the living God, the gift that we celebrate this Christmas. That is the gift that I wanna stand on. You know what God says to that? Spend eternity with me because you're forgiven. Because you receive grace. I know most of you sitting in here, you go, nice, nice story. Cool trick with the scales. But what about, and then you think of something. What, what about this area of my life? What about this sin? What about this past that, David, you don't know about? You, you can never even imagine what I've been through. What, what about this thing that I, I surely can't forgive myself, let alone ask somebody else to forgive me of this? I mean, the longer I sat with this, here's the question I came up with. Where's the cross not enough for you? Is there something in your life that you go, grace is awesome, it's, it's great for everything, I can receive it for everything except this one thing. What's that thing for you? Maybe for some of you, it's an abortion that you had as a teenager. Maybe nobody knows you've kept it a secret and it's been attached to this shame or guilt your whole life. Maybe it's something you did. Maybe you're driving under the influence and you killed somebody or, or you ruined somebody's life or you, you, and you just can't move on or you can't let it go. Like there's the damage that you did to another person and their family. It's just, you say grace is great, but it, it can't fix that. Maybe you've cheated on your spouse or your previous spouse, and that's what led to the divorce. Maybe, maybe they know about it. Maybe they don't know about it. Maybe you're doing it right now. Maybe you're trying to, to fix it, and you go, the safest place for me is to keep this buried, to keep it a secret, let no one know, rather than to step in and just go, God, I just need your grace. Where is grace not enough for you? Where is it hard for you to actually forgive yourself, to admit defeat, to admit failure, to admit sin and wrongdoing and to say, Jesus, I just need you. I need you in my life. I need you in the darkness of my own heart. 
of my own story, of my own shame and guilt and brokenness. Where is it for you? I, I have so many of these areas in my life. You know, the, the curse of this stage is I, I can never get up here and just pretend like I'm fine. There's so many past things that I carry that are still reaping like that, that fruit, you know what I'm talking about, where it's like it keeps coming back over and over and over again. There's, there's people that I've hurt. There's things I've said that I can't unsay. There's this whole list and ledger of brokenness and pain. Every time I blow up at Shannon or blow up at my kids or, or say things out loud to people that can't hear me and, or people that can hear me, it's like it, there is a wake of damage and destruction that follows me everywhere I go. And I think for some of you, maybe you're like me, Thanksgiving, Christmas, it all comes back. As I was praying last night, I just felt like God gave me an invitation. You know, here I am preaching this, going, hey, God has an invitation for you. I felt like last night he goes, David, there's an invitation for you too. And I felt like just what he said or what he put on my heart is, David, the closer you let me in to the brokenness, the more I can bring healing to it. Because so much of my life I go, God, just stay away from this part. I'm fine keep trying to fix it. I'll work on it. I'll do better. I'll be better. I'll do more. Last night, just in my living room, I felt like God's going, just let me in. Just let me in. My grace is enough. It's sufficient for you. As I stood in that courtroom with that police officer, you know, they look at me and they got anything you have to say for yourself. I owned it 100%. I said, I in fact, he said one thing that was wrong, and I want to correct it. That hurts me. But I said, I just want to own it. And uh, I just want grace. He didn't let me off. He gave me a break. I didn't walk away scot-free. Because there was still a cost that had to be paid. You know, in a justice system, the, the purpose of a punishment is to absolve the guilty one of their guilt. Do you know that? In our justice system, they, they, they say, when, when you do this wrong, you either pay this fine or you go to jail or you do whatever, you, you make it right. And when it's even, then you're done. Then you can have a clear conscience because it was paid for. This cross is meant to absolve your guilt that the penalty of our sin was death. But the gift of God came through Jesus who died on a cross for you and for me to set us free. So where do you need grace? What part of your life? What part of your heart? What relationship? What past? What thing that you can't let go of? Where do you just need God's grace? And what we're going to do here in these last couple minutes together is we're just going to give you an opportunity not to share that with your neighbor, not to write something down, not to just for you to get real with God. Just for you to go, okay, Lord, here's where I need grace. Will you meet me here? So let's do that 
right now. Father, we just come before you right now, not with a pedigree of good things that we've done, not with things that undo all of the sin or brokenness or wrongdoing that we've contributed. We, we don't show up on our own merit, God. We're not going to look sideways and compare ourselves to the people around us. God, we're just broken. We are sinful. We've done so much damage to ourselves or to the people around us. And so what we just ask you, Father, is just as we admit that we bring nothing to the equation, uh, I just pray that you would move in uh, to that darkness right now, to that brokenness, that shame or that guilt. Because God, you, you are light and you say you cast out that darkness. So we just invite you into that space. We, we invite you into our hearts. We, we own it, but we ask not for something based on our merit. We just ask you for a gift and just the, the gift of grace. We know you love us. We know you care for us. We know you know every single thing about us, and yet you still love us. You still sent your son to die for us on a cross. And so we thank you for him. We thank you for Jesus, especially this Christmas. And we pray, God, that you would set us free, that you would release us from all of the, the guilt and shame that comes with it so that we might experience your grace through Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray and all God's people said together. We hope this message encouraged you to know who God is and who you are in him. If you want to take a next step, visit frontlinegr.com slash next. We look forward to connecting with you there and we'll see you back here next week.